0: Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter two. So if you have a Bible, you might like to open that, but the verses will be on the screen above me. So that's 1 Peter, chapter two, beginning at verse four. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fail. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were predestined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, this morning we um, continue our series. If you're joining us uh, for the first time, we've been looking at uh, a letter that's written in the New Testament by the Apostle Peter. It's called 1 Peter, and we're in week three thinking about that. Let me pray for us. Kind Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to our hearts and minds this morning. Make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen when I was a, um, well, it's coming, up to, it's coming up to summer, right? And it's cricket time, it's cricket season, and uh, the BBL will be on our screens. One of, the, one of the little gimmicks that they include is the community hero. We love these little moments where we have a sense that something large is connected to smaller communities. Uh, I, community is such an important thing. I remember growing up in a, in a, in a cricket club, and there was this old guy called Owen, I hope Owen's watching the service, but I doubt he is. Um, Owen was possibly the worst off-spin bowler I've ever seen. Worst off-spin bowler I've ever seen. I mean, it must have been partly physical limitations of his age. He would have been 65 or 70, but he was there. Yeah, we, were, we were part of a we were part of a uh, of a, a grade cricket club, and so he'd turn up every Tuesday and Thursday for training. And he would be there, first guy bowling, last guy bowling. And he would bowl some of the worst deliveries I've ever seen. And, but he would turn up and he'd play every week. He was in the sixth or the seventh grade team. And I used to wonder to myself, why does this guy do this? Why does he turn up and do this to himself and also to other people? Uh, and then one day I went back after the game to the to the clubhouse and those of you who have been part of a sports team you know the clubhouse is the key right actually went back to the clubhouse and it occurred to me Owen is the toast of the club he's the toast of the club when he was when he turned up everyone cheers for Owen Owen never had to buy a beer everyone always bought him a beer and I realized that for him the reason he played cricket with that particular club was because of the community because of the community of people around him we have a sense that having the right people around us is important now what's interesting about the bible is that community is actually at the heart of what god is doing it's at the heart of what god is doing last week we looked at how having Jesus at the centre of your life shapes you individually. We talked about our life and our decisions and our priorities. Be holy because I'm holy. Reflect the character of God because of what Christ has done for you. But in this part of 1 Peter, it turns to the communal component of your identity. And you see it in the start of the of the uh, of the reading verse 4 and then at the end of it it's like top and tail as you come to him says peter the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by god and precious to him you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house so you can hear the communal language there right a spiritual house household uh or it, that could it's not so much just a building he's he's kind of using as a metaphor he's thinking of like a generations a household of people And then in verse 9, again he says, but you are a chosen people, apologies for my typo, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. He repeats it. And all three of the descriptors are these communal descriptors, people. He's shifted his thinking. You, as you come to him, are being made into a community, a community of people. Now, this is not a new thing for the Bible. You might think, oh, right, okay, Peter... He's starting to extrapolate from first principles and this is what he's got no 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 God has always been about relational connection about connecting people together in Genesis 2 the creation account what does he say to Adam it's not good for you to be alone there's a relational nature to people they're meant to be together he says Uh, in God's blessings to Abraham He takes a single person and his promise to Abraham is not, I will make you great and you will have lots of money so much as I will make you into a great nation. Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 22. Repeatedly, three times over. and, And vast nation as well. Because God is about bringing people together. About bringing people together. The great example in the Old Testament is, of course, the nation of Israel. See, actually, the high point of, of God's blessing in the Old Testament is in the form of a nation, not an individual, not just disparate nomads who travel, but people gathered together. It is in their communal life, actually, that much of the law is focused. See, what it looks like to be shaped by God is to live in community. And then in the New Testament, at the height the height. Of god's work after jesus ascends and the holy spirit comes at pentecost the the holy spirit works and to what end we see it at the end of acts 2 because the whole of acts 2 is introducing the holy spirit's work and there's a great sermon by peter the holy spirit comes down on people and this great moment of the holy spirit's work is finished with these verses from acts two forty-two to 47 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, communal word, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and all the believers, communal again, were together and had everything in common. And then he goes on to say, Luke, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You see what's happening here? The great work of the Holy Spirit his great work is to bring people together they're meeting together in temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising god enjoying the favor of all the people and was he done having brought the three thousand no the lord added to their number daily those who are being saved you see the the point of the bible is that god's great work great building work is to build the church The church. Now, maybe you hear church and you think big organization, the Anglican church, the Catholic church, you know, but no, 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 not not church, the building. People, God's people, brought together in deep community and relationship. That's actually what God is working towards. So here, here is a picture of what it looks like for God's mission to come to effect for people to be gathered together, to be gathered together. And what's really interesting, actually, about, uh, about what Peter is saying here is that at, as, as this happens, you have great value. He says, look, this group are precious to him. They're precious to him. But we have to notice here something very important that your decision to come to the lord jesus what you consider as an individual decision is intimately connected to your community with god's people as you come to him he says you are being built into a spiritual house as you come to him you are being built into it they go together you see you have great significance and purpose says the scriptures you're precious to him but Your significance and purpose are also intimately connected to the community of saints. You cannot understand them apart from it, actually. cannot understand it apart from it. Now, when when you're a youth group, one of the classic lines you get at some point as you're leading the the youth group with teenagers is, well, can't you be a Christian and not come to church? It's a classic line. A classic line. Now, here's the thing. Back in Acts 2, do you think they ever asked that question? Do you think they ever got to that meeting in the temple courts hang on do i need to be here like does this need to be part of who i am can i do i need to break bread with each other it was just a natural outflow of who they were wasn't it the reason the reason that we ask that question, and maybe there's people in this room, I don't wanna consign it that question just to uh, teenagers, that's a question that lots of people ask The reason why we ask it now actually is that we live in a highly individualized society. Highly individualized. I mean, if you go to Starbucks, for example, that's um, a cafe for those who don't know that on the North Shore, I just realized that as I said it. Is there a Starbucks on the North Shore? Who knows? When you go to a place like Starbucks, what you find is, is the furniture and the layout is all conducive to community. Have you noticed that nowadays we don't have lots of private booths at cafes anymore? Like it's all about open tables, isn't it? And, and it means you can draw chairs around, before COVID of course, you could draw chairs around and have a huge group around this big table, or it could be three or four of you on one end and three or four of you on the other. But, What normally happens when you go into a place like that is you just find one person over here at their laptop with their headphones on, and another person by themselves on their phone. I mean, the most tragic example is is you go out to dinner and you look at a couple, and they're not gazing deeply into each other's eyes or exchanging, they're both on their phones, flicking through their social media feed, reading highly individualised, catered content. Now, that's just where we live. And you know what, that message of our sense of self and identity, which is completely construed from within, from our own personal desires, inevitably impacts the way we think about our fundamental identity as God's people. And what that results in, you you can tell that you've started to think this way because the, the, the primary symptom is a loose sense of connection to God's people. You have such a loose sense of connection. You know, church or your, your midweek gathering is kind of like the bonus round in your life. When everything else will fit in, then you'll, fl- you'll slot that in more and more. And, I, I mean, if you ask most ministers who run churches, their testimony will be something like this, which applies to us too. They'll have, say, 200 people on their roll, and on average they'll have 100 people at church on Sunday. So 50% of people are not there who would describe that church as their church home. And the reason that that happens, as I said, is because we kind of think about our Christian life and our Christian identity solely in terms of that first phrase and a half, as you come to him. We've forgotten what Peter is saying here. You are being built into a spiritual house. You are a chosen people a holy priesthood a royal nation your communal and look there's various reasons why we're at home online for a lot of us it's about health Uh, but I I think COVID has exacerbated this and I want to challenge you if you're at home and you don't need to be you should be with God's people whether this is your church or you have another church and you're just tuning in to us today, you should be with God's people because being with God's people is the goal of the gospel. It's the goal of God's work to draw us together into community. Now, just being about community isn't Paul's po- Peter's point though in this letter. Okay? He's not just saying be about community. We have to actually reflect on what the purpose is of this community. And it comes out there in uh, verse nine. That's that second that that book end of the passage. Good, he says. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And here it is: the purpose that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. See, this is this is so important. The fundamental purpose of God's people gathered together isn't just to have a great experience of community. It's not community for the sake of community, but fundamentally for the sake of God, to declare his praises. Declare, that's a very important word because it's not a passive thing. You know, we don't just meet together and therefore... No, we are to declare it. It's verbal. It's outward. It's so that someone else will hear it. It's that someone else will be confronted encouraged, shown, pointed, guided to the goodness, the extraordinary wonder of what God is trying to do in their life, to call them out of darkness into light. And it's praises. We don't just get together to feed ourselves, but to praise him. That that same sentiment is back there in Acts 2, 47. They gather together, they break bread, and they sing, and they praise God. That's at the heart of what God's people is. In fact, it's one of the reasons why in our mission statement, our fourth kind of missional priority is celebrating together for the glory of Christ. We want to have a rich experience of community, but not just for the sake of community. There is something unique to the church gathering as opposed to the the cricket club. Because ultimately, it's not self-referential. It's not pointing inward, but outward and upward. That's the primary dynamic of God's people, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is challenging, because actually it means that you could be a regular attender at church, but have actually got church wrong. You could be someone who has been coming to St. Stephen's your whole life, but the reason you're drawn is not for the glory of God, but for the sake of the community. See, our primary goal is not to boost St. Stephen's. Our primary goal is to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, the challenge is if individual, the individual's mindset, which might shape one aspect of our community, makes us uh, a bit loose with our commitments, we can also go to the other end of the spectrum, where we become a bit tribal, a bit tribal. If an individualist says, oh, I have no real commitment to any group, I'll choose whoever suits me in a time or place, the tribalist becomes a bit exclusive. They say, you only get to come in on my terms, on, on the terms that we have set as a community. And one of the ways you might know if you are at risk of actually having made belonging and community the key reasons for being here is your heart when you meet new people or your people who are different to you who you don't naturally fit into our community. So, if your heart is tends to anxiety and uncertainty and fear when someone new comes, or the idea even of someone new coming in, then perhaps. Perhaps your focus, perhaps our focus, has been the wrong thing. Because we're not just a community for the sake of having a great experience of community. We don't gather together just so people will feel a great experience of community. That's not Peter's. Peter's entreaty is that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. And actually, I think that that is a real challenge if you come from a A functional church community because the richer your ironically the richer your sense of community is at church the more of a challenge it is for us to keep the main thing the main thing in our church life that we would gather primarily you see for the glory of the lord jesus christ for his glory for his glory and so i guess as we've just meditated on this idea of community the challenge is not just a challenge for those who aren't actually part of churches, for a, for a secular world, but it's a challenge for us too. And we find ourselves somewhere on this spectrum between individualism, which makes us loose in our commitments, sporadic in our attendance, and tribalism, which makes us exclusive. And, and, and if you're honest with yourself, you're somewhere on that spectrum. You're probably not an extreme on either end, but you tend to one or the other. What Peter is describing is something altogether different. It's not on that spectrum. It's an altogether different experience of community. And the key to understanding God's church and engaging with it properly is actually to get the foundation the building blocks of church, right? And that's what Peter's doing here. See, in verses six to eight, he has a whole meditation on the Lord Jesus Christ as he describes him as the chief cornerstone. That is the block on which the rest of the building takes its shape. You lay the cornerstone down and out of that comes the whole building, its shape and its, its dimensions and its, its, its overall strength and vitality comes from the cornerstone. And so what is the cornerstone for you? What is it that you build your sense of community on? The answer is it must be the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter says, do you notice the nature of that stone, that cornerstone? Go back to verse 4. Here it is. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans. This is the profound challenge of building community on Jesus Christ. He's actually not someone who is immediately attractive to any and every person. That's what Peter's meditating on in verses 6 to 8. He's one who was rejected. Peter says he's rejected by humans, rejected by men and women. Maybe he was thinking about those moments, just the last moments of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. There's a beautiful painting here I'm going to flick up. I love this painting. It's it's kind of depicting this moment we are told in the Gospels where Pilate brings brings Jesus out to the crowd. And he's got two people. He's got Barabbas, who's a genuine criminal, a murderer, uh, a revolutionary. And he's got Jesus, who is sinless who's perfect who's gentle who's meek who's mild who spent his whole ministry with the poor and the vulnerable and the weak and he says Pilate, Pilate himself understands how ridiculous it is that jesus is standing in the same place as barabbas right and so he offers them the chance to free jesus he says who would you like me to release thinking that of course it's self-evident that jesus should should be released And thinking that surely this is what the crowd... Because only a week before this, we're told in the storyline, Jesus has come into Jerusalem to the cries of Hosanna. And yet at this moment, the crowd is incited and their words are, crucify him. At that moment when he should have been accepted by them, they reject him. They reject him so that it will cost him his life. And in this painting, it has the faces of men and women and children crying out words, hurling the words, crucify him. Words of deep rejection for Jesus. But here's the thing, I think, about this moment in 1 Peter. I don't think Peter's actually thinking primarily about that moment because he has a richer, more painful memory which is deep in his consciousness, which is that just before that, when Jesus was before trial of the Sanhedrin, Peter himself had rejected Jesus three times. When Peter says, rejected by humans, rejected by men, he knows he is one of them. He's not just thinking about a crowd of people out there. He understands that the church, which Jesus has called him into, is based on his rejection of Jesus. Peter belongs to God's people (laughs) extraordinarily as a result of his rejection of Jesus, his unjust rejection of Jesus, which sends him to the cross. But Peter is so moved by this because he realizes if Jesus didn't experience that rejection, he would have ultimately at the Lord's hand. And because Jesus experiences that rejection, Peter can be welcomed in. And just as that truth is true for Peter personally, it must be true for you if you want to experience God's church really fundamentally. Do you understand that actually your heart rejects the Lord and yet in his great mercy, he has called you in to his family? You don't deserve to be part of the church. But God's mercy is so great to us that he welcomes us in any way. See, that is at the foundation of the church. That's what forms God's community, that moment of deep rejection. And to the extent that the church is built on that, it becomes a wholly different community to any other place. You know, to the individualist who has a loose affiliation, who checks in every now and then, who's got a a monthly connection to meeting with God's people, when they're confronted with what Jesus Christ endured for them, they realise that how precious it is to be part of God's church. What a cost for them to belong to that. It strikes them at the very heart that their deepest desires are to reject a good God, but that God has called them in. And if, if, you're, if you're tribal, if your deepest love is just belonging to a community and that makes you exclusive and shuts you out, being confronted by a gospel which has at its heart mercy says you must fling open the doors because we do not get in here by merit, but by grace. Grace. You who had not received mercy have now received mercy, says Peter. And that is the fundamental dynamic of God's church, a place where the doors are open, not based on skills or attributes, on not even on character extraordinarily, but on mercy, mercy. Let me pray for us. Kind Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not withhold anything from us. Our hearts cry crucify him. And yet the Lord Jesus in his generosity welcomes us in. Thank you. Please remake us so that we have a wholly new commitment to your people and ultimately to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.